and welcome back for you uh hopefully it's been no more than a week uh for us it's been a few weeks <laughs> yeah. um fortunately you sound less like claudia black uh, from farscape yeah well we uh we watched uh, some movie we're going to talk about, and then I promptly completely lost my voice for about three days, and it's been slowly coming back. I've never had laryngitis that bad, but <laughs> yep, it, it was weird. So, before we get into the movie, um, some things we've enjoyed in the interim, um, I've got a handful that I'm going to mention, and then if you've got something you'd like to mention we'll give you space for that if you don't okay. that's fine we'll move on into the movie if not but uh so this week we're going to be talking about the 2004 uh comic book film hellboy uh before we get into that i just wanted to mention uh a couple of tv series uh that we've really enjoyed uh if you have streaming services these are available now um so Really enjoyed She-Hulk all the way through. If you are wanting something that you can watch and enjoy it as a sitcom, it is an enjoyable sitcom. If you're wanting to watch the newest, latest, greatest Marvel thing, uh, I recommend it for that. It's very true to the She-Hulk comics. Um, if, uh, if you like Tatiana Maslany, uh, from her improv or uh, appearances on Comedy Bang Bang or other TV shows, she's really great in this. It's it's a really fun show. Yeah, is it I the really it. <laughs> Is it the best thing Marvel's ever done? I don't know, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, probably a lot more than a lot of other stuff that's come recently from Marvel. Um, I, was, I was sad that it was over. So, yeah. I I know you love sitcoms. Yeah. So, uh, another thing we. Are still enjoying as of this recording is uh, the TV show Andor. Um, it's doing things for Star Wars that Star Wars has not really delved deep into um, ever, um, and it's it's got the maturity and um, depth of writing of an HBO show like a Game of Thrones or uh, uh, The Wire while having the universe building of Star Wars and being a lot more family appropriate than any HBO show. And so if you're even remotely interested in espionage stories or Star Wars or uh, even just really good, tense, uh, one-hour television dramas, I highly recommend Andor. Mm-hmm. Um and then, uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, really uh, all eight episodes, watch through them, and I, I love that show. Um, I, I've actually thought about going back and starting the show again. I think I'll wait for Christmas break or something <laughs> to give a little bit of distance, because um, I don't want to get too hyped up for a season of, uh, a sequel season that won't be coming out for at least another year but it was it was everything i liked about the lord of the rings movies while expanding on a different time period while doing its own thing in the story and i really enjoyed that and uh 
is it the best thing that's ever been put to screen? No, but very few things are. It's, it is, however, for me, someone who's wanting some lighter fantasy and something a little bit more hopeful. Uh, I, I found it inc incredibly enjoyable uh, in spite of the fact that it gets very dark at points. Um, and so really, really enjoyed that show. At some point, we may do a deeper dive into that or, or one of the other things we mentioned. Um, I want to give you one, I want to give you an opportunity, and then I have one last thing that's not a movie. Um, um I think I've been enjoying, I've been watching through uh, that 70s show, um, mm -hmm. just trying to find something different to watch, because I kind of tend to always go to the same thing and rewatch. What, The, the office, office or Parks and Rec, Rec and, 30 Rock. and 30 Rock? Those are my three that I rotate through constantly, and it, they never get old. But That's right. You're also I, going through Gilmore Girls right now, so Yeah, too. that's what I was also going to mention, is I'm going through Gilmore Girls for the second time, or is this my third time? I think for you, this is three. Okay. I think I've watched bits and pieces. Like, I've watched it through, and then I've watched episodes here and there, but now I'm, like, kind of sitting through just to watch through it yeah. again. And so I'm enjoying that too. I love Gilmore Girls. It's a good, especially for some reason, it's like it makes you think of watching through is a fall time thing, like mm -hmm. all the coffee and coding. I don't know. Well, they're they're very much a New England like cutesy college town, and yeah. it it's one of those mm -hmm. towns that if we could afford to live in a place like that, we would absolutely move there. Yes. Um, but. That's for another day. Uh, in the meantime, in the meantime, I have been diving deep into uh, Final Fantasy fourteen uh, for all you video game lovers out there. And this is a game that has a really interesting behind-the-scenes story. Uh, never mind the fact that the story itself is uh, for the video game is interesting. This game came out in 2010 and was a according to all the reading of the time it was a disaster it was an unmitigated disaster it was broken it didn't work uh quests were bad it just it was not a good video game mm -hmm. so over the next three years the team um based out of japan uh mea culpas to the audience they're like you're absolutely right this is a broken game we should have never released it like this here's our plan we're going to steadily repair things you can keep playing we're going to we're going to steadily fix things but on this date in 2013 we are we are going to destroy the world everybody's like what and they're like no seriously on this date if you are in the game you are going to see the world destroyed and and everybody's like, well, I don't know if that's necessary. So in 2013, they have an in-game event where this cataclysm happens and the world gets wiped out. And then there's this new cutscene and they reboot the game effectively uh, into what is now known as Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. <coughs> Excuse me. Within the game world, the world was destroyed and remade. <laughs> Nice. And so, uh, since 2013-2014, they have been uh, building on this foundation to what is now considered... <laughs> God bless <Sorry>. you. <laughs> and just for the record, for everyone listening, she gets two bless yous. 
No more. If she three. sneezes, nope. You, she's she, no. If she <laughs> sneezes any more from here on out, she's she's on her own. Um. And so, this game, every couple of years, they put out expansions, and I've I'm a fan of the series. I I love fantasy in general, but I love the Final Fantasy games. They they kind of mix the best of uh, current fiction with classic fantasy, and you get really neat mixtures of the two in kind of a quirky, light-hearted, most of the time, setting. And jumping in, uh, I think you can play up to level 60 for free, and then there's a subscription after that. Um, I liked it so much after... I think I'd put in 20 hours. I was like, all right, I'll go ahead, take my money. Um, and it's really, 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 really good. Um, the writing's really good. I, I can't wait to get into some of the deeper content. I think my character's at level 50 right now. Um, but it's, it's a legitimately fun uh, game to play. I'm not much of an online gamer, um, but... Even in spite of that, I've played most of the game solo and had a great time. So, mm -hmm. outside of writing and the stuff we talk about on this show, uh, that's really been my major time sink. So, and I'm enjoying that time. Yeah. So, all right. Now we'll get back to the movie that we watched two weeks ago. Um, yeah. And uh, a little background. We... Jumped right into the movie. We were a little tired on the day we, we watched it, so we didn't pre-record pre our thoughts. Right. Um, but I went into this movie back in 2004 as a freshman <laughs> in college. And I saw this on the Campus Movie Network. And at our college, a, a movie would be out in theaters, and then it would be on the Campus Movie Network um, shortly before it went to home video. And so I saw this movie and absolutely adored it. Had no background on the character going in other than I'd seen advertisements for Hellboy at a comic shop. I'd seen it in the back of a couple of uh, Star Wars comics. Uh, at the time, Star Wars was with Dark Horse, not Marvel. Um, and it, it's a very iconic character uh, drawn by Mike Mignola. Um, but outside of that, I... I have no knowledge, I have no background, and it's it's one of those character names that you you're either in or you're out on the on the name. It's it's Hellboy. What's that? Yeah. And what you end up with, and what I remember loving about the movie, is it's basically a Beauty and the Beast story in a heightened comic book world mm -hmm. and I remember really really enjoying it and it's one that I revi revisit every few years um, for me I really enjoy it because the character doesn't have as much baggage for me as a Batman or a Superman or even any of the Marvel characters it's because I have so little exposure to the character outside of the Guillermo del Toro movies, there's there's not a lot of 
there's not a lot for me to compare it against or, or contrast with. Yeah. So I introduced you to this movie yeah. pretty early on in our marriage. Yeah. What do you remember before seeing the movie? What do you remember thinking about it? Um, and I, I basically put down two, two red demonic uh, uh, adventure horror movies. It, it was this or Legend. Yeah, Legend is a complete no-go for me. Oh, it's fine. And <laughs> and what what did you remember before we get into this watch, if anything? Yeah, I mean, I remember the character Hellboy. He looked weird. He's got a really big fist. Yes, the right the, the right, right hand of doom. Yeah, um, I remember like at the beginning, like they open a portal from hell or whatever and he gets through as a little baby demon yeah whatever and he i know he was raised by this old man um that's what i remembered about it before it's basically this it it's okay i was trying to figure out his fascination with cats because he has like a hundred cats because cats are great yes cats are great we know that we got three of them so we'll get we'll get into some of that when we get into the movie yeah. proper. But um, introducing this movie, I think I still enjoy this movie, and I I think I like the the mix of things that it attempts to do and successfully pulls off. There's a couple of misses, and we'll get to that when we get to the movie itself. But this movie is a successful action horror movie it's a successful comic book movie it's it's a successful film it it works as a as a piece of filmmaking the the techniques in both writing and in cinematography work really well uh guillermo del toro just has an artistic touch with most any of the movies that he makes especially uh this movie and after and he has a way of really embracing cinema. Um, and there, there is a theatrically released Hellboy movie that came after the Guillermo del Toro movies. And I was like, okay, well, I enjoyed the first two. I'll enjoy this. And I didn't. And, and we'll get, again, get into why I think that is. When, when we talked about the movie, but Guillermo del Toro making this movie, and, and I'll, I'll say his name a lot and, and heap a lot of praise on him for this, for this movie in particular, he finds the hook. He finds the thing that works about this movie. And so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the movie itself um, and then a little peek behind the scenes uh, after we're done recording this episode. We're going to recording next week's episode so that uh, in the event we get in the weeds again, we're <laughs> yeah. not scrambling last minute. So uh, we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, so um, this movie is... bunch of different things that should not work mm-hmm. on paper um, 
these things when you mix them in the blender are either going to be one of the best things ever or one of the worst things ever and this could have easily gone into the worst things ever um, pot um, and somehow Guillermo del Toro again he he finds he finds the through line and I think the through line that he that he sews very deftly and in this movie in particular is the relationships and through tons and tons of makeup and prosthetics and CGI he makes the relationship shine through and somehow in this movie you believe them when tons of other movies in general but superhero and comic book movies try to do what what Hellboy does and fail miserably um, a lot of uh big budget superhero movies including some that are currently in theaters uh, try to hit you on that level and they just don't connect and is it the writing sure uh, some of it I think is the direction and I think a lot of it is also we've gotten so into the comic book superhero machine that we forgot that we're going to the movies and um, and we missed that. But uh, in this in this movie, what catches me right off the bat is the opening of this movie could almost be its own movie. Uh, the World War II set. Um, these are soldiers going in to to fight Nazis, but with a twist. Mm-hmm. And. They go in, and it's Nazis trying to find the occult. So, effectively, the beginning of this movie is like the climax of an Indiana Jones movie. And they're stopping the bad guys before they let an otherworldly evil hit our planet. So, that's kind of a movie. Then, you jump forward into the future, and we've got a a top-secret organization that's fighting... Uh, supernatural um, beings uh, and trying to keep it under wraps from the public. It's basically Men in Black. And then you have the horror side of this story, which is um, these otherworldly beings are trying to manipulate things from behind the scenes and bring about the apocalypse. And you've got kind of a horror action story going on there and all three of those movies shouldn't be in the same movie (laughs) but they are and and the storyline of professor broom broom uh john hurt uh (laughs) uh being a scientist um the guy who basically runs this paranormal, uh, paranormal bureau, uh, he instills a lot of gravitas into the into the that character, into the relationships around Hellboy. Then you've got Ron Perlman under so much makeup that the only actual piece of Ron Perlman that you see that is not under clothes or, or makeup 
is his eyelids. That's the only piece that's, um, they're painted red, but everything else is under a prosthetic, or he's got yellow contacts in, mm-hmm. he's got, the, the jaw's not his, the, the body's not his, it's, and he manages to, through this costume, emote and, and bring a character that's annoying but funny, he's, um, he's powerful, but immature, he's deeply flawed, and at the end of the movie, you still love him, in spite of the fact that Guillermo del Toro lets Hellboy be a jerk. He lets him be not a great hero, and, um, on this rewatch, it was something I really, I really enjoyed, is letting the character be flawed all the way through, even at the end. And watching a lot of the Marvel movies, um, the characters at the beginning of the movie, maybe they're a bit, you know, arrogant or something, but by midway through, we're, we're super heroic, and then we have a quip. And, and that's our character. And Hellboy is effectively a man-child with superpowers. And the, the one thing that I don't love in this movie is that at the end he gets the girl. That's the one thing I don't love about this movie, although it kind of works. Yeah. It kind of works. Um, and the reason uh, I don't love it is because this movie is effectively Beauty and the Beast. The, the whole story is. So you've got Hellboy lives in, in his dark vault of a room uh, away from the public. He comes out just to do good and then goes to hide. But he is always kept away. And the one piece of beauty that is allowed in is Liz. Um, and Liz has her own issues, but Liz is is the beauty to his beast. And while he pursues her, she's never quite certain until the end of the movie. Again, just like Beauty and the Beast, where Belle is... She comes in, and she's reluctant to be around Beast, but she's with Beast. But at the end of the movie, love conquers all, beauty ends up with the Beast. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm not 100% on board, even though I love Beauty and the Beast, uh, the 1991 film is my favorite Disney movie. Um, in this movie, it was... It was moving to the point up until, I would say, the third act where it's like, no, he's not going to get the girl and he's going to learn to deal with that. And and that's actually a, a great lesson, if, if they went through with it, of, hey, you know, sometimes you don't get the girl and sometimes you just need to grow up. And uh, I would have loved to have seen that it didn't do it because that's not how movies are made. And again, they're making a movie, but 
that's that's the story Guillermo del Toro tells. And like most directors, his main characters are proxies for himself. And in Guillermo's story, he got the girl, he got his wife. There's a line that Hellboy says um, when he's talking to Liz as they enter the third act where um, he says, uh, I could tell you two things for certain. One, I'll always look this good. And two, I'll never, uh, I'm never going to let you go. Uh, or I'm, I'm never going to let you down. I don't know. It's some of the lyrics from the Rick roll. Anyhow, um, he effectively is, is like, it's, it's his superhero speech going into the third act. But the line, I'll always look this good, was, was something that Guillermo del Toro told his wife when she complained about the fact that he always dressed so frumpy. And he said, well, I'll always look this good. And, uh, and so for him writing the character, he's like, well, I got the girl. Why can't Hellboy get the girl? Um, I really enjoy all the performances in this movie. Um, David Hyde Pierce is Abe Sapien, um, in voice only. Um, he is played, uh, to perfection by Doug Jones of Star Trek Discovery and The Shape of Water and a million other things that you've seen, including Hocus Pocus, where he is, uh, Billy, um, Billy Butcher, the, uh, the guy with his mouth so shut. Okay. I remember that, but okay. He looks like a zombie. His head falls off several okay. times. Okay. Um, so David Hyde Pierce refused a credit on this film because effectively the affectation he was putting on his character voice was Doug Jones' voice to the point that in the next film, Hellboy 2, um, which I enjoy for completely different reasons than this mo- movie. It's a completely different movie. Um, David Hyde Pierce isn't doing the voice. Doug Jones is. And you can barely tell a difference. And it's because David Hyde Pierce was just doing Doug Jones's voice. Um, and that's something that's really interesting to me. It's... Why didn't Doug Jones do his own voice? Uh, so, there are several different reasons. One, it probably was the studio came in and said, we want a certain sound for, for this voice. Oh, we like David Hyde Pierce. This is around the time that Fraser was getting ready to go off the air. And David Hyde Pierce has a very distinctive voice. Um... But when all he's doing with his voice is doing the affectations that the character under the under the latex is doing, it's there's not a whole lot of point in paying an additional, you know, five hundred thousand dollars, million, just for a name that you're not going to get to use. Yeah. Um. It's it's the reason that. Um, when the video game Destiny came out in 2014, uh, Peter Dinklage was the biggest actor on the planet. Uh, in 2014, Peter Dinklage was in everything. 
yeah, because he had gotten rave reviews from Game of Thrones, he's he's in X-Men Days of Future Past, in spite of the fact that he's only in that movie for like 10 minutes. Um, he's uh, in the video game Destiny, he gives this performance of, of a robot character, of a ghost, and it's not great. It's okay, but it's because he was famous. Mm-hmm. What later happened in that video game is they dubbed over that performance. And something I've learned from listening to uh, voice actors talk on podcasts and interviews is that voice acting is one of the few things that you're not guaranteed that your performance ever sees the light of day. Um, William H. Macy was the voice of Marlin in the movie Finding Nemo. And for whatever reason, he got let go. And Albert Brooks stepped in and gave us the performance that honestly makes that movie. And by David Hyde Pierce in this, giving Doug Jones agency, even if he's the voice, um, we got more of Doug Jones's performance. And it made that feel more holistic and less detached. A lot of times, if you watch a movie where you have one actor doing the performance and another doing the dub, sometimes there's a disconnect. It feels a little off. Yeah. Like, uh, watch a lot of the early James Bond movies, and anyone who's not Sean Connery basically is dubbed. And it doesn't always work. Um, a lot of times it doesn't work. Um, most of the time it's because the person doesn't speak English as their first language. In this, it was just because they wanted a specific sound. I, and I think that was it. I think had they had they been able to afford him, they would have went Kelsey Grammer or someone else. Yeah. Uh, in the sequel to this movie, um, because they don't have to hire the voice actor for Abe Sapien, they hire a famous voice actor for another character. <laughs> um, and that's Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame. You... You put your money where you can put your money. Yeah. And the idea is that for most people, they're either in or out on the premise of the movie itself. And this movie is a lot of premise to digest. Um, and most people won't make it past the title. And that's a shame because it's this movie is more than its title and it's more than the sum of its parts and, and works really well for all of them. Again, I went into this movie gosh, almost 20 years ago with no expectations. And even now, watching it probably for the 50th time or whatever, I found new things to like and appreciate. One of the things I liked more than anything in this movie is the CGI is used so correctly for the time. Post Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Episode One, everyone is trying to CGI anything that is not you and me in a room talking. And more often than not, even now, in, in 2022, when you go and you see the latest Marvel movie, most everything feels fake. To the point that it's hard to be fully in the world that they create. Um, one of the things I, I enjoy about Andor that we're watching right now 
is most of the sets are practical. And so the world feels real. I know it's fake, but I'm able to be immersed into the into the world they're doing. In the Lord of the Rings, when they're on a, a set that's mostly practical, you can feel it. And it it feels more real. And then when they're in a place that's super fantastical, you're like, you know, uh, I am watching Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And you kind of check out. But for this, for this movie, um, I don't know. They they have perfect casting. Uh, Selma Blair as Liz. I had next to no exposure to her outside of Legally Blonde. Um, she's the rival for uh, Elle's ex. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't remember. We'll put Legally Blonde on the list for our comedies down the road. Yeah. Um, but I I thoroughly I think if you're after an action horror movie, you're you're wanting to watch something for Halloween. You're not wanting to watch a slasher movie, but you're wanting a little you're wanting a little bit of intensity. This has some really good horror elements. The creature design is very um, H.P. Lovecraft. Um, Call of Cthulhu. I see your face and I might as well be speaking another language. Um, a lot of cosmic horror type stuff. This is a different type of movie. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I'll, I'll say that right up front. But if you enjoy... If you enjoy Tim Burton movies, um, if you enjoy uh, if you enjoy comic book movies that have a little bit more of a cinematic edge to them, where they they feel more there's an effervescence to to older movies versus now, and it, it's hard to explain. Um, but if you want more of that old school feel while getting some of that comic book joy, I, I really recommend this. Um, and then if you enjoy this one, I definitely recommend the next one. Um, not as much of a horror movie as it is a fantasy movie, um, but equally enjoyable as the part two to this movie. Um, and as for the one that was directed by Neil Marshall a few years back, you can skip that one. Um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and while we're on this, I'll say why it didn't work. That movie is, they were trying to make an R-rated Hellboy and they succeeded. It is definitely Hellboy, but R-rated. The problem is it's directed by someone who is a director for hire. Uh, he comes in and he directs the script that was given to him and you can tell. And the script that was given to him feels like it was made by committee. It's not a it's not a singular vision. It feels very disjointed. The performances David Harbour of Stranger Things is Hellboy in that movie and does a pretty good job. That's a sheriff pop. Everyone else feels like they're in a different movie from people who are in the same scene from them. And it it just it doesn't work. The relationships between the characters aren't there. The stakes never really coalesce. Um, in spite of the fact that they kill main characters and a lot of people, it just it 
doesn't work the way that this one or Hellboy 2 worked. Um, and I felt bad for David Harbour that it didn't. Because yeah. that was, outside of Stranger Things, that was going to be his step to bigger and better things outside of, yeah. of that universe. Um, and I enjoy Stranger Things, but I, I like any actor to not be stuck in one lane if they don't want to be. If you want to just do one thing, awesome, do it. Do it from now till doomsday. But if you want to branch out and do other things, I want all the success in the world for you. Um, there are several other movies that try to do what this movie did, including the Hellboy remake in, in 2016, that fail. Uh, R.I.P.D., uh, starring Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds, a few years um, uh, after this, uh, it doesn't work. Uh, it's going for that action horror uh, feel, and it it just doesn't come together. Um, even several of the Men in Black sequels that lean a little bit more onto the supernatural edge don't work like this one does. Um, if anyone were to ask me what the best sequel to the original Men in Black is, I'd probably say this movie. Um, because it has the same feel. It's very... It's got just the right amount of humor while also being a good action story. Um, I don't know. I could go on and on about why I like this movie. I love the color pops in this movie. Um... A lot of the movie is shot in Prague. Uh, the streets feel very real. Um, and that pop of red for Hellboy or the sickly green for the for the monsters all works. I haven't even talked about the villain who's a, a version of Rasputin from Russian history. Um, I love it when you take a historical figure and make him a, a fictional character. I love anytime people do that. Um, this movie works. Um, and it works well. And legitimately is one of my favorite things. If I had to make a top ten list of comic book movies, this would probably be on it for me. Um, and at the end of the day, I... I wish Guillermo del Toro had enough time and energy to come back to this universe and do it the way he did it for the first two. Um, but that man does not stop working. I think he has two or three movies coming out this year, um, including a Pinocchio remake that uh, looks really interesting. It's stop motion like Wallace and Gromit. So I'm, I'm very intrigued. But... Check this one out if you haven't, um, and if you don't like it, hey, it's not for everybody, but if you do, check out its immediate sequel. Um, and uh, next week, we'll be back with more favorite things. Uh, before we go, real quick, another movie that we watched between this and Dracula from uh, three weeks for us, but one week ago for y'all. Uh, into the blanket, just go ahead and sneeze. Yeah, away. Okay. Uh, we we watched Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> so, Dracula Dead and Loving It is basically if they took the script for Dracula 1931 and said, hey Mel, what can we do with this? 
hilarious. It's fantastic. The my favorite scene, the the scene that makes that movie to me is when they stake Lucy. <laughs> I remember it now. So Lucy is the friend of um, Mina's yeah. who becomes a vampire, and they find out where her coffin is, and right, so right, they they go to stake. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Weber is playing uh, Jonathan Harkness, and he goes to, he goes to stake her, and he gets sprayed with gallons of fake blood. And the actor did not know it was coming, and just he yeah, gets his genuine reaction. It was hilarious. He does it two or three times, and Mel Brooks is playing Van Helsing, and he goes, "Hit her again!" He, and he throws the hammer away. He's like, "No, I I think she's dead enough." Yeah. Um. After last week, if you saw Dracula in 1931, you're like, "Man, that was slow." This would be really funny if... Check out Dracula Dead and Loving It. It is not Mel Brooks' best film, but it is his best horror film. Uh, well, that might not be true. Young Frankenstein exists. <laughs> um, maybe watch him as a double feature. It, it, was, it was hilarious. It was, yeah, stupid it, hilarious. It, it was a good palate cleanser after yeah. Dracula 1931. So, Alright, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, we've gone longer this week than we have in the past few um we'll be back next week with a one last uh spooky season film uh before we roll into something else that we haven't decided yet uh, but have a great week uh keep finding your favorite things and if you want to drop us a line with what your favorite things are hit us up on social bye bye